From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Brian Mullady is iced in in Portland, Oregon, but he's here with us, ready to take your phone calls today. So pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we've got a number for you. It is 1205 2712985 and we will even put you straight to the front of the line at 12052712985 and you can always send us an email that email address is openline@ewtn.com I'm Jack Williams Michael McCall producing the program your call screener is Matt Kubensky and Ace McKay handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as I mentioned earlier, Father Brian Mullady, how are you? Okay, except for ice thin. <laughs> there you go. So you have something, as you do every week, that you want to talk about. And based on the way it is written on my sheet, I have no idea what it is, so I am just going to let you introduce it. Oh, well, Sunday was designated this, you know, by Pope Francis as the celebration of the Word of God okay. this particular Sunday in the liturgical year. And I thought it would be an ideal uh, occasion to basically discuss our doctrine concerning the Word of God. Perfect. First of all, we have the Word of God in eternity, of course who proceeds in the Father and is eternal and is a person. But the whole purpose of creation, it would be, which is to basically bring as many people to heaven as possible, is based on a further knowledge than merely knowledge of reason, which we all have by nature. And in order that we might be brought to heaven, we need a special kind of knowledge. This is traditionally referred to as revelation. And it involves two experiences of the Word of God. Of course, as many know, Protestant and Catholic, for many centuries there's been a dispute about, well, uh, scripture and what's called tradition. I'm constantly getting questions on here about what scripture, how to interpret the scripture, and I'm a little nervous sometimes because tradition is very important in this, and why do I say that? Well, first of all, tradition came first. Tradition can be defined as the word of God preached. And as you know, the apostles were not to preach what they had seen, understood, and experienced. 
You know, John said, what we have seen with our eyes, we have touched with our hands the word of God. We preach. At a certain point in time, the community wanted this preaching preserved. And God raised uh, certain people to whom he gave divine grace to enable to discern what part of that preaching was actually true. And by true, I don't mean necessarily in the Gospels case, historically accurate in the way we would put it today. By true, I mean what represents the words and the deeds of Jesus and what their purpose is. This is Holy Scripture. And Holy Scripture has an honored place in this because it results from a direct inspiration on the part of the Holy Spirit. So to appreciate the Word of God in Catholicism, you have to remember there are two experiences of it. And for many centuries it was debated which was more important, and there was no resolution. <laughs> so our option is always not either scripture or tradition, but both scripture and tradition. The both have an equal weight because they both reflect the experience and the teaching of the apostles. One, uh, that experience and teaching as preached, the other, that experience and teaching as lived with our Lord. And when it comes to judging, when there's a question about whether uh, what's not in Scripture is in tradition and whether what's in tradition is accurate, that's why Christ founded the magisterium. The magisterium is the teaching authority of the church. Our Lord himself founded it, especially in the office of St. Peter. And it was basically to serve scripture and tradition so that if there's a disagreement among the two, the magisterium can say which opinion is in fact correct and valid and which might be heretical. So we have this marvelous source for our understanding of our Lord and also our understanding of the Gospels as preached. You can see this preaching connection very much in the origin of the Gospels uh, now, I tend to follow a more traditional understanding. Modern scholars all make Mark the first gospel because it's the shortest. Uh, I understand that Matthew is the first gospel because since the gospel was connected to preaching, Matthew is Jewish and it's connected to the Jewish mission. Then you have, of course, the Gentile mission later, which is represented by St. Paul. And if you remember, Luke is the companion of Paul. And then there is a manuscript evidence. Now, it's not contemporary with our Lord, obviously. It's a couple hundred years later, where it's stated that when Peter was imprisoned in Nero's household before his martyrdom, 
that the Christians there in Caesar's household, whom he himself had converted, asked him to comment from his personal experience on the difference between Matthew and Luke. It's one of the reasons why you won't find any narratives of the infancy of Christ there, because Peter wasn't present for that, so he didn't have a personal experience of it. And then that Mark was Peter's scribe. Again, it's connected to the preaching. And so Mark was asked after Peter's death to publish his scripted notes. And this is the gospel um, according to St. Mark. And even though it's the shortest, it's the one that contains the most personal reflections of Christ. Because Peter, as you know, was Christ's intimate companion for his public ministry, basically. So we have this marvelous source on which to base all of our thinking about our Lord and our relationship to him. And it's not limited to either scripture or tradition. It has to include both, as judged by the magisterium, so that we can be sure that what's revealed to us from heaven is the word of God as he exists there with the Father and the Holy Spirit. We're just getting started on a Thursday edition of EWTN's Open Line. Dominican Father Brian Milady is in the house. If you've got a question about the Catholic faith, we'd love to talk to you today. Pick up the phone and give us a call. The number is 833 288 E-W-T-N, that's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. Your number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one 205 271-2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. That's openline, all one word, at EWTN.com. 833-288-EWTN. Give us a call on Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. I want to invite you to discover the beauty, truth, and goodness of the church with the EWTN online learning series. You can delve into the riches of the faith and grow closer to the Lord with very free, 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 free videos and study guides. 
Um, one of those is Women Made New, and in this study, you'll be inspired by the stories of Kristalina Everett, Joy Pinto, Teresa Tamio, and Cameron Frad, as you hear how God helped them overcome trials. Most importantly, you'll understand that He will help you, too. Enroll in our courses today. Simply log on to learningseries.ewtn.com. Got some open phone lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. First up today is Beth in New Orleans, Louisiana, listening on Catholic Community Radio. Beth, you're on with Father Milady. Hi, Father Milady. I'm a, a conservative Catholic, and I have someone in my life who's taken a deep dive into his faith, which is great, but things have gotten a little odd. Um, and so there's a lot of, um, there's a big focus on sacramentals, statements that viruses are as a result of the fall or demons. The Novus Ordo is not necessarily valid because the priest missed three, you know, words in the Eucharistic prayer or changed it. Um, we do a nightly rosary with our children, but sometimes um, I'm praying with them and skipping the rosary, and then I get, you know, well, the Blessed Mother said you have to pray the rosary every day. Don't you want to listen to her? And, I, you know, I just, I, I'm wondering if you could give me some general advice about how to address all of this. And this person also has told me about Mary of Agreda and her random things about, the, you know, some things she said, and I don't really know what to do with it. Well, the first thing is to pray for this person because they're they're emphasizing too much certain things. There's a wonderful saying which is, all things in moderation except charity. (laughs) And I think that's especially true sometimes when it comes to these devotional practices. There's nothing wrong with devotional practices. They're very good. But as you know, they can be very much overdone. It's one of the reasons that people from descended from the traditional church and they wanted to change it because they thought there were too much devotion, too many novenas, too many devotional practices. Well, some people, they may feel called to that. That's one thing. But to try to force it down someone else's throat, that's quite another thing. And all I would say is, well, when you lead the prayers, you can lead them this way. But we're doing it this way now. And if they don't like it, well, you know, they can always pray themselves. <laughs> so um, uh, we, we all often experience this in religious orders. Brother X wants this devotion. Brother Y wants this devotion. Brother G wants this devotion. And if you put all of them in, you'd be half hour making devotions in no time actually, making the kind of prayer you're trying to be interested in. And also, even though the rosary is a solitary, laudatory prayer, it's after all an option. Uh, The mass is the thing. So you might emphasize to this person the importance of the mass and say, well, you know, the devotions are fine, but we need to have them perhaps in moderation. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. 
3986. Got an email from a listener overseas, Father, and she says, I live outside the United States. I was baptized in a Protestant church as an adult. At that time, I thought of baptism as a symbol, and so there was no requirement of confession of sins at that time. Were all my sins forgiven even though I was just thinking of baptism as a sign to show that I was determined to be a follower of Jesus, and the Protestant pastor administering the baptism was basically baptizing me with that same idea, a symbolic act? Based on what you say to me, I would say yes. Because the important thing is the pouring of water and the saying of the words. I remember anybody can baptize someone. A pagan, a Muslim, or a Jew can baptize someone as long as they intend to do what the church does and they use the words. You can't change the words. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you can't uh, not have the pouring of water. If the pouring of water touching your skin is done and the words are used, that baptism is valid. Now, usually when Protestants convert, they don't get rebaptized. What they do is they make a confession of faith where they, I don't know how you put it exactly, where they make up what's lacking in their original faith commitment personally. But we do believe in ex opere operato, you know, from the very work being performed. So yes, I would say that such a baptism is a valid one. Um, Murray wants to know, Father, why did God put Mary through so much? Why did he make her experience losing her son when she did so much to be obedient to God? Well, I could ask the same about the son. <laughs> I mean, Jesus is, after all, the second person of the Trinity, the Word of God, and yet he was put through so much. Why? Because he does for our redemption. And since Jesus is the son of Mary, she suffers when he suffers. As you know, there's a famous uh, theological principle that Mary suffers in nothing natural. So um, she does not experience pain in childbirth, for instance, before the sin. After the sin, yes. But before the sin, no. So... Uh, all the sufferings of Mary, and the same would be true of death, by the way, if she experienced a death, it's never been defined. But in the Eastern Church, it's described as the assumption as a kind of sleeping, a dormition. But anyway, uh, all her sufferings are connected with the suffering of her son, and she suffers for the same reason he does, to help to redeem the world. Wide open phone lines for you on an open line Thursday, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Um, Jesse would like to know, and I think he's, he's there's a bad premise to the question to begin with, but he says, I know God uses pain to punish bad people, but why does he allow natural disasters? Um... I don't think, I think you're right. I think that's an improper premise. Uh, pain is caused by the fact that we have bodies. 
Um, and if you ca caught a body, it hurts. That's what causes pain. Now, God can use such sufferings to bring a person's need for con conversion to his attention. Regarding natural disasters, it's the same principle. I mean, the natural disaster is caused by nature. The fact that human beings make use of it uh, for moral purposes is because it wakes them up and helps them to realize that they have very little uh, that they can rely upon in this world um, that they have to rely on God. Sharon would like to know if animal cruelty is a sin. Uh, well, it depends on what you mean by animal cruelty. If you mean, for example, that we are eating a cow and we have to, you know, cut it open and cause it to hurt, that would not be a sin because you're basically using it for human consumption. But if by that you mean you needlessly torture the animal, uh, even when you're killing it, or you needlessly torture animals, period, and there are people that do needlessly torture animals, then that would be a sin, yes. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll-free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America, 833-288-3986. Um, Jason says, my, my Protestant friend thinks that we only should help other Christians. What is the Catholic response to this claim? We help all peoples. Uh, as you know, the, uh, the Lord himself helped all peoples. Uh, anybody who has, is a rational animal uh, has rights and duties and things like that. So it would not be reducible only to someone who's a Christian. 833-288-EWTN. Kelly says, why do I say to someone, what do I say to someone who thinks God is responsible for all the suffering that they have in their life? Gee, we're having a suffering day. <laughs> uh, well, you, you have to say, well, there's a certain general sense in which that is true. Because God creates nature. And what's good for the lion is bad for the lamb. But uh, he doesn't purposely create it just for the sake of suffering. It's because of the way causality works regarding material beings that what's one's you know, uh, help and livelihood is often another person's uh, pain. 833-288-EWTN. That is our toll-free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America, and we've got wide-open phone lines for you on this Thursday. 833-288-3986. And if you are outside of North America, you can give us a call at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one 
205-271-2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address, once again, is openline at ewtn.com. That's openline, all one word, at ewtn.com. And put something in the subject line like Thursday or Father Milady, so that we will get it to the appropriate location. It's a Thursday edition of EWTN's Open Line. Give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line, Thursday with Father Brian Milady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Congratulations going out to a longtime member of the EWTN radio family. Sacred Heart Radio of the Northwest is celebrating 23 years as an EWTN affiliate this week, they're now on 12, 12 AM and FM stations covering Washington State and Kodiak, Alaska. Congratulations to Ron Belter, who started this thing in his living room. One computer on a table in his living room, and now they've got 12 stations across the state of Washington and Alaska. Uh, congratulations to Ron Belter and his great team at Sacred Heart Radio from all of us here at EWTN. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. Next up is Kyle, a first-time caller in the great state of Louisiana, listening on Christ Our King Radio. Kyle, you are on with Father Brian Mullady. Uh, good afternoon. I have a question about the Epiphany uh, blessing of water. I don't know uh, anything about that. Oh, Okay. Sorry, we, well, that's that's in the traditional liturgy, and I've never done it, so I can't answer the question. It's not in the present liturgy, really. It's a sacramental. It's a, you know, you can do it or not, so, like the chalk. <laughs> Sorry about that, Kyle. Wish we had a little uh, more detailed info for you, but we will certainly keep you in our prayers as one of our callers. Thank you. It is a devotion for Epiphany, yes. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Mary Catherine is up next, a first-time caller in St. Benedict, Louisiana, listening on the EWTN app. Mary Catherine, you're on with Father Milady. Father Milady, good afternoon. Yes. God bless you. Yes. Bless, blessing from St. Benedict, which is right near Covington, Louisiana. Great. I have a question. Yeah, I have a, I have a weird question. I don't know. It, it's kind of a new uh, friendship I have, um, well, relatively new, of someone she lives, she moved from Texas to live with her boyfriend. Well, what's your question? They want to know if it's, so, you know, they, it, I want to know if it's okay for them to live, I mean, to get married on my property. They're not Catholic. I've always been Catholic. But I consider, obviously, marriage to be a sacrament. So I don't know if it's something the Church 
Facebook would prefer not, strongly suggest, or absolutely forbid they be married on my property. Well, certainly if they are Catholics, they'd have to have a dispensation to be married on your property. Why? Uh, why does a Protestant want to be married on your property? Is it pretty or what? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. It's on the water. Okay. Well, it's up to you. Okay. Yeah, because remember, it, uh, marriage is one of the sacraments we recognize for Protestants because the ministers of marriage are the couple. So you'd be basically saying that you uh, approve of, you know, that by letting them get married on your property. But frankly, I have no strong opinions one way or the other about property, except the church demands that it be in a church normally, though it may be dispensed for various reasons. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. That's the number Lorraine used. She's in Chicago, Illinois, watching on EWTN television today. Lorraine, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Yes, hello. I just wanted to know, should we always go to the Lord for things that, oh, small things that we say thank you for instead of going to our God angel? Um, you can go to either. I mean, the only reason the angel would help you is because of the Lord. So the Lord is the primary source of all help. The fact that the angel intercedes for you with the Lord um, means merely that you're trying to ask the angel to help your prayer to be more efficacious. But that's that's all I can tell you. God bless you, Lorraine. Thank you so much for listening to EWTN. Yes. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Um, William's trying to get his head around a concept. He says that he would never eternally punish one of his children, and he doesn't understand how God could do that. He says, I know I'm not as merciful as God, but I just don't understand. Well, first of all, yeah, you're not only not as merciful as God, you're not God. And eternal punishment involves the rejection of God. A person chooses self over God. Well, if they did that to you, that wouldn't give you eternal punishment, but temporal punishment. But the fact that they do it to the Lord, which is what the original sin actually was, and all deep sins after that, even concerning the natural order, like with murder or theft, those are all major interruptions in the order which God has placed in the universe. Such would not be the case with you. It would be an interruption of your order, which is not the same as God's order as such. So um, God doesn't actively seek to punish anyone. What he does is recognize what you choose, though, and make you live with it. So if you've chosen yourself, God says, great. You want to live with yourself? You want to be the center of a life? Fine. That's your that's what you can do for all eternity. Since you don't want to acknowledge me, you'll just acknowledge yourself and be by yourself. 
And if that makes you happy, which of course it doesn't, it never does, because that's not what our nature is drawn to. It's drawn to union with God. Then have a have a good have a good eternity. <laughs> well, they don't. The demons don't. Uh, Lynn is in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, listening on Oklahoma Catholic Broadcasting. Lynn, you're on with Father Milady. Thank you, thank you, Father, for taking my call. Um, I am a faithful Catholic and have uh, all my faith in the Bible and the Word of God and all that, so I have no concerns. But um, someone once posed this question and challenged me, and I didn't know how to respond. I don't know the history and all that, but he said that, you know, how the prophecies of Old Testament are revealed through Jesus Christ in, in, in the New Testament through the Gospels and such. He says, how do I know that um, the persons that lived through the times of the Gospel writing and stuff that didn't just learn of the stories of the Old Testament or read them and just kind of made them up as it goes to kind of reflect that of the Old Testament, like, meaning, how do I know those New Testaments and Gospels are really the revelations of, of, of Jesus' lifetime? Does that make sense? Uh, can you give me a little more? Kind of like uh, an example. Like, how would we know that somebody didn't just uh, fictitiously write the Gospels to mirror what the prophecies in the Old Testament said? Thank you. Thank you. Exactly. Okay. Uh, well, we don't really, do we? I mean, we have to have faith that what we're told actually occurred. Um, you know, when uh, John the Baptist says, Are you he who is the comer, shall we look for another? And then Jesus, he doesn't say yes or no. He's very cagey, always like that. He just sends some and says, Tell John what you see in here. The blind see, the lame walk, which is all fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. So the conclusion would be, obviously, I am the one, but Jesus doesn't say it. And uh, why would people make it make all this up? I don't know. I can't even think of a reason why you do something like that. It seems like it would be in our day and time to undertake that chore would be overwhelming and I can't even imagine what it would have been like in their day and time huh no. to, to even to even come close to how well all of the texts of scripture go together right right well there are examples of people who are a great genius in this I mean I'm constantly astonished at the book of Mormon all written in the King James version of English of the Bible in these these stories that go on and on forever that there's no evidence for whatsoever really, except some temples in Mexico. That's about it. And uh, I remember Joseph Smith said that uh, he was taught an unknown language, and at first, because they couldn't translate the Rosetta Stone yet, he said it was hieroglyphics. And then when they translated the Rosetta Stone. He changed it to just being an unknown angelic language that he forgot as soon as he read it. But um, I, I don't understand why anyone would want to do that myself. Yeah, I think this is just someone speculating and looking for a reason to not believe. Probably mm. Lynn is probably the deal. And that's what we have to deal with from time to time is folks that just are looking for a reason not to believe. 
we do kind of forget, don't we, Father, that faith is a part of this, no matter what you're, where, where you're well, coming you ha- from. Well, you do have to believe the witnesses, you know. I mean, <laughs> if you don't believe, if you think the witnesses are lying, I mean, <laughs> what's left? God bless you, Lynn. Thanks for the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Linda is another first-time caller in the great state of Ohio, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Linda, you're on with Father Milady. Oh, thank you so much. God bless you both for the wonderful ministry. Father, my question is about this energy business that we hear about all the time, Reiki and energy ministries of that sort. I know the Church teaches against that, but on the other hand, we know there is energy in the universe. It's very important. So what do we say to people as a Catholic viewpoint of how we should look at energy and what we should say about whether we can influence it or not? Well, uh, again, uh, I don't know everything about that. I've heard of it, of course. But my general experiences of all those movements is that it tends to come from Eastern religions. And it's the idea that what we're trying to do is, um, it, it was, it's almost like Star Wars with the Force. What we're trying to do is tap into this impersonal force and then use it sometimes for good, sometimes not for good. And somehow people have identified that with God. Uh, Energy uh, is a very elusive concept, as you know. What is it? No one really seems to know. But we do know that the universe tends to conserve energy, not lose it. As far as locating it in parts of the body, though, which I think is what Reiki's about, or the psyche, and then trying to manipulate it, which I believe, unless I'm mistaken, was the second part of your question, that is very unchristian because you never know. I mean, the angels are energy, too, after all, and that includes the wicked ones. So who do you who do you? Who is the energy? That's the real question. And do you really want to play around with this is the real question. Very good. And Linda, I would tell you that uh, every Wednesday at 11 o'clock Eastern time, we discuss these very topics on Women of Grace. Sue Brinkman joins Johnette, and uh, they take your calls on what they call Wacky Wednesday. So if you're of a mind... (laughs) And you want some more? Uh, you want some more uh, information on that? Give us a call back at eleven o'clock on yeah. Wednesday, eleven a.m. Uh, Eastern Time. Uh, but this attempt to manipulate these forces, mm-hmm. uh-uh, I I just don't see it. It's not what Christianity's about. Christianity, you lose yourself to uh, a significant other. Here, you take the energy you find. And you try to use it for your own purposes, and that's not the same thing. God bless you. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Um, Jan is in Springfield, Missouri, another first-time caller listening on the EWTN app. And she's got a question about something that I think has crept into the back of all of our minds at one time or another. Jan, you're on with Father Milady. 
Yes, thank you for taking my call. I was just wondering um, if, when praying the rosary, we were discussing amongst friends, when you're praying the rosary by yourself and you're just saying the prayers in your mind, does the Blessed Mother hear those prayers? Is of she, course. How does, she have that, how does she have that ability of, you know, if the devil can't read our mind, how can the Blessed Mother hear us in our mind speaking the prayers? Um, well, who said the devil can't read your mind? Where did you get that from? I, I thought I had heard that on a radio program as well. <laughs> Well, I, I think the angels can know our thoughts. They can't force our thoughts, but they can know our thoughts. Uh, and Mary, of course, being a spirit, uh, she, of course, has spiritual union with us. So it's possible for her to know all those things. Uh, we don't ever have to say the prayer externally, although you may. The beauty of the rosary is that you, it has about seven different levels on which you can actually basically unite your will with God, which is what the final purpose of it is. So you, you have the non-worded prayer in a sense. You have the spiritual communion prayer. Uh, you have the mysteries you know, all of which are located in the life of our Lord and our Lady. It's also repetitious, and repetitious prayer has the advantage of giving you a time to pray where you don't have to worry about things. And there, anyway, there's a lot of different levels on which the prayer of the rosary is um, made. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We head next to Ontario, Canada. Andrew is listening at EWTN.com. Andrew, you are on with Father Brian Mullady. Hi, can you tell me what the uh, the role of public repeatability is in uh, Catholicism regarding things like miracles and supernatural powers? I, what what is public repeatability? Like if I was to do something once in front of two hundred people, that's not necessarily a big deal. But if I were to do it five thousand times in front of five million people, that becomes public repeatability. Like for example, the sunrise, we know it's going to happen again by induction. The what we know is going to happen again. Sunrise. By Sun oh, the sunrise. Uh, frankly, I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> look, Catholicism is a religion in which we are called intimate communion with God, just as we were with a friend that was sitting next to us. It has nothing to do with repeating this, that action, whatever, and things like that. It has to do with a personal relationship in the final analysis. Now, we do have repetitious prayer, the rosary. We do have the sacraments, those kinds of things. But those are all rituals that have as their purpose a personal relationship with God. That's why they exist. So that's the important thing. Nothing else, as far as I understand it. Now, I don't know if I answered your question or not, but as far as I can understand it, I think I did. 
uh, it's unique. Ever, our relationship, all different people's and persons' relationship with the Holy Trinity is unique. And so it, it isn't exactly repeatable, I wouldn't think. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Terry is in Houston, Texas, another first-time caller listening on Guadalupe Radio. Terry, you are on with Father Brian Milady. Oh, good afternoon, folks. Laudator Jesus Christus. Okay. My question, my question is this. What is the order of papal documents? For example, you have papal bowls, you have apostolic exhortations, motoproprios. Uh, which ones are the most powerful, carry the most weight? And then I had a second question that popped into my head after I talked to the call screener. So if you want to do that one first, I'll listen to your answer. Well, first of all, none of the documents you mentioned have great weight. Encyclicals would be the, the, the primary teaching that has weight, but even those, it depends, and the Church is very clear about this, on what it's about, um, and that kind of thing. A papal bull is merely a legal document. The term bull refers to the lead used to seal it with. So it could be um, parking your car at the Vatican. The papal bull could be about that or something like that. Motu proprios are where the Pope seeks to carry out uh, a given thing he wants, and it could be, again, be anything, building a swimming pool or whatever, by motu proprio, by his own initiative. So there really is no hierarchy of authority. And uh, look, the Vatican, Vatican I defined papal infallibility, and they only did it for one reason, and that was to answer the error of Gallicanism, which was the idea that before a papal teaching could take root, it had to be accepted by civil society, either the king or the parliament. That was the one error. That's why they say no external, um, it admits of the truth of itself, and it doesn't demand any external approval. That's it. So uh, some people have crossed their eyes trying to rabbinically distinguish which papal teaching is more important than which and which is more important than this. Do I have to obey this one? Do I not have to obey that one? Well, you have to use common sense in a lot of this. And um, they, they all have their own sort of role to play in governing the church in some way, but such government could be just the local government of Vatican City, for instance. All right, that's the first, my first answer. So you had another question, did you? Well, the other, the other question, and I probably already should or do know the answer to it, but I believe you're a, a Dominican in the eastern province, is that correct? No, I'm a Dominican in the western province. In oh, in the western province. Okay, okay. Well, either way, which the question would still apply. Are the Dominicans still permitted under certain circumstances, if given permission by their provincial, to celebrate Mass in the Dominican fashion Any. You mean legitimately or illegitimately? <laughs> well, I don't want an illegitimate mass. 
Well, in fact, there are still many people that do it. Almost all young clergy who took it over when Benedict permitted it. But they don't care what anybody else thinks. So um, the provincials don't push it, let's put it that way. So yes, there are people that do it, but they don't do it with permission necessarily. Merle is in Omaha, Nebraska, listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Merle, you're on with Father Milady. God bless you, my father. I've spoken to you several times, always about the same theme. Um, psychopath and narcissist. I know someone who's one who's full-fledged narcissist, brutal and cruel and extremely, it really lives his narcissism. But then again, he also goes to Mass every day. He goes to communion. He gets his crazy rosary. He walks, talks, and lives like a Catholic. But he's, you did the wrong buttons. This, this person just blows up full-fledged narcissists. Is, is all the prayers that he does and all the rosaries and all that affecting his um, cruelty against other people? Now, I couldn't understand half of what you said to me. <clears throat> so what she's wondering, she knows an individual who is a, a, what she would a, call a, I got a psychopathic narcissist, very yes. cruel and mean to people all the time, yet he goes to Mass every day and receives communion and right. prays, prays the rosary. And what, she wants to know if, if those spiritual practices are efficacious at all in his life because of his condition. <laughs> Well, uh, what would you think? I wouldn't think so. But on the other hand, um, psychopathic personalities, especially not neurotic personalities, can't help what they do. So it might be making it better. I don't know. One thing is sure, we can't judge that kind of stuff. Only God can. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Milady, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Matt Kubensky and our social media maven, Mr. Ace McKay. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Thursday. Uh, tomorrow, we may have Open Line. We may not, as we'll have live coverage of the March for Life, as we do every year. And uh, should it come to a close prior to 3 p.m. Eastern time, then we will have Colin Donovan. If not, we won't. We'll see. Join us tomorrow. God bless.